The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Well, happy Super Bowl weekend, everybody. Man, who's ready for the big game? Some of you guys got the crockpot all ready for the big game. And hey, online, you guys can participate with us here today as well. Hey, show of hands, make some noise if you are rooting for the New England Patriots to take home the championship. Wow, that's a lot of uh, Patriots fans, Massachusetts and Maryland. I guess you got the M's mixed up. How many of you guys are going to be rooting for the Rams this coming weekend? There you go. Online, who y'all rooting for? Look, I realize in life there's two types of Rams fans. The first kind of Rams fans, the ones that actually like the Los Angeles Rams. And then the second kind of Rams fans, the ones that's just rooting against Tom Brady and the Patriots. I'm just saying, look, look, uh, it's amazing how many people are rooting against the the Patriots simply because they're just tired of seeing people win. How many of you guys just don't care about the football game? You you care about the food and the friends that you're going to be hanging out with. That's kind of where I'm at. I've been in the same cycle for the last number of years, just going to a friend's house, watching another team win the Super Bowl, except for the Redskins. Um, You can tell I'm just a little bit bitter, just a little bit. But there's going to be millions of fans that's just going to be watching this game all around the globe watching a game that's definitely won for the ages or or maybe if you would enlighten me for a little bit maybe it's a game of the ages because the 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 storyline in the Super Bowl is pretty unique if you you would give me just a few moments so Sean McVay he is the head coach of the Rams and he just turned 33 years old and he's already made Super Bowl history by becoming the youngest head coach to be in the Super Bowl if he's to win he would be the youngest head coach to ever win a championship And on the other side, you got Bill Belichick of the Patriots. He's 66 years old. He's literally twice the age of McVay. And if he's to win, he would be the oldest head coach to win a Super Bowl championship. And and Tom Brady, he's 41 years old. He's literally the oldest starting quarterback to play in the Super Bowl. And if he's to win... I'm going somewhere here with this. If he's to win, he would be the oldest starting quarterback to win a championship. And Jared Goff of the Rams, you see where the game of ages is playing along. Jared Goff is 24 years old. And if he's to win, he would be the youngest, one of the youngest players to win a championship on the big stage. And so it doesn't matter who you're really rooting for. It's kind of hard to root against any one of them. You almost want every single team to win because at winning, they would, they would get a championship. Like, hey, everybody should get a trophy. Like, all the teams should win, and everybody should get a prize for participation. As you know, football doesn't necessarily play out that way. At the end of the day, there's going to be a clear winner, and there's going to be a clear loser. At the end of the day, that scoreboard is going to determine which age is better, which coach is better, which quarterback is better, which player, which team is better. At the end of the day, this weekend, someone's going to be a loser and someone's going to be a winner. And that's all well and good on the field, but what happens when it plays out in our life? Are, are, are we just playing a game in our life where it's nothing but players and pawns that's just pitted up against each other? Is life just simply a game, and it's just filled with winners, and it's filled with losers? And if that was the case, who gets to decide which one we are? 
You see, too often what happens is we approach life with this kind of either or mentality. We approach our marriage, our friendship, our relationships, and, and our homes, our schools, our workplaces with this kind of mentality derived from a game theory is called a term zero-sum thinking, which literally means an individual look at any given situation like it's a zero-sum game. Basically saying that if you gain something, that means I'm losing something. If, if you get a raise, that means I'm packing my bags. If you get the promotion, that means my family's going hungry. If you're the winner, then I'm the loser. And so we compete, we compare, we contrast, we complain. And rarely do we ever admit it, if we ever do, that we feel just, just a slightly bit better about ourselves when the people better than us are all of a sudden not doing better than us. Not saying that we're doing any better, it's just that they're not doing better than us. And the competition causes us to create comparisons between us and others. What happens is we, we start to compare our behind-the-scenes life with someone else's highlight reels, and we see that there's a disparity in our life. And so we try to point out someone else's failures. We try to point out someone else's flaws to stop them from getting ahead of us or for us to get ahead of them. And we live guarded. We live isolated. We have this fear of, of being used because that's what people do to win. They got to use people. They got to manipulate people. They got to they, they gotta have someone else lose in order for them to have a gain because that's what we would do if we were in their shoes. And competition, comparison, it, it breeds this discontent. It creates disconnection between us and others. And so our relationships are fragile. Friendships are easily broken. So we carry this pain, we carry this guilt, we carry this shame, and we never feel like we fit in. We never feel like we belong, be a part of a team anywhere, but we desire this craving of, of belonging. We desire this craving of true and authentic companionship, but we see that there's something that's lacking. So we, we build digital platforms, right? We build digital relationships where we have instant access to people, but very rarely are they actually meaningful. Where you can communicate with someone in a mere moment, but very rarely do they, do they actually go deeper than a hello. Very rarely do they actually go past the facade. We, we have a way of tracking thousands upon thousands of friends, and you can have a friends list from floor to ceiling, but how in the world do we still feel alone? How do we still feel isolated? And, and so we, we take a step of faith and we go to church. Expecting something different, one to connect, one to feel like we belong, but we still feel the same thing, don't we? We still feel like it's hard to connect. We still feel like it's hard to belong. And now all of a sudden, we start becoming cynical and we start looking at other people like they're just phonies. They're just hypocrites because what makes it worse is we're seeing people live a life that looks like it's awesome and it's great. And so we try to pretend like someone who we're not only to come and find out that we're left with just empty, shallow relationships that, that lacks vulnerability and that lacks authenticity. Can I just tell you that that's not how the people of faith should be? But unfortunately, if we were to rewind the hand of time thousands of years back, you'll see that the people of God found themselves in the same exact predicament as you and I. You see, thousands of years ago, 
the people of God, 12 tribes of Israel, found themselves brothers, but now became backstabbers. They found themselves in, in close relationship with one another, but now they became rival kingdoms against each other. They turned their heart away from God, and they got led into captivity. They got led into being held captive by comparison, captive by competition. And in the midst of that, God sent to them a messenger by the name of Ezekiel. Ezekiel came with a promise of restoring the, the, the promises of God, a, a message that, that said God's going to reconcile you back to his promise. And he began to paint them this awesome picture of what this promise is going to be. He said this promise is going to come like a wild river, like a river of life. It's going to flow. And wherever the river flows, his presence is going to go. And wherever God's presence goes, everything's going to grow. Hurts are going to be healed. Relationships are going to be mended. Trees that had never bore fruit is now going to start bearing fruit. Dead things are going to start coming to life. And this river is going to flow into family. And this is the continuation of Ezekiel's vision to the people. He says this, this is what the sovereign Lord says. These are the boundaries of the land that you will divide among the 12 tribes of Israel as their inheritance with two portions for Joseph. And you're to divide it equally among them. Because I swore with uplifted hand to give it to your ancestors. This land will become your inheritance. And later he, he describes how you're to distribute this land from the north, south, east, and to the west. This is how you're, you're supposed to distribute it. But this promise was hard for them to fathom because he said this river is going to flow and it's going to flow into family because thousands or hundreds rather for centuries the 12 tribes of Israel had, had been living against each other. And so for hundreds of years, people wouldn't have ever even fathomed that these, that these brothers would come back together. And Ezekiel was saying, you're going to get reconciled back to your brothers. It's like me saying to you right now, hey, part of God's promise for your 2019 is that that guy that walked out of your life and, and shattered your home and shattered your heart, you're going to be in harmony with them. Hey, hey, you know that, that parent that lets you down? You're going to love them again, and you're going to let them back in. Or, or, or that, that friend that you let too close to, 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 to backstab you. You're, you're going to bring that, and you're going to be brothers once again. It's hard for us to fathom a promise like that because why? We create proximity with people who bring us pain. We, we try to create borders with anyone that's going to try to battle against us. We, we try to create any kind of distance with any individuals that's looking to damage us. We're, we're, we're trying to distance ourselves from anyone that's going to make us the losers in this game. So we're, we find ourselves stuck in this. But what Ezekiel was saying to the people, he was saying part of God's promise, the fullness of God's promise Unity is going to be a prerequisite for it. And so how do we experience that kind of promise? How do we experience that kind of promise for us in, in, in this year for our lives? How do we experience the kind of promise that's going to heal hurts? How do we experience the kind of unity that's going to mend relationships, that's going to reconcile relationships back to right order? How do we experience this, this promise that, that that entails unity being a prerequisite. If you have something to write with, I want to encourage you to take this note. Maybe you, you feel like you're stuck in captivity right now. Maybe you're in the middle of, of being held captive by comparison, captive by isolation. Look, Ezekiel said this right in the middle of all that, and perhaps this is what God is speaking to you today, and it's this, that we come alive 
in community. We come alive in community. I think every single one of us would desire that. I think every single one of us would desire a heart that's fully healed. Uh, a relationship that's fully reconciled. Brothers being made brothers once again. Families being functional once again. But it seems like all we see around us is splintered relationships. Marriages that are torn apart. It seems like we're just stuck in the cycle of captivity. You see, your community will determine your cycle. Your circle of influence will determine your cycle of living in your life. And it seems like the cycle is not just around us and the circle is not just around us, it's inside of us. You see, there is a circle that is influencing our lives that drives us to disconnect, that drives us to compare and to compete, that, that, that causes us to be in discord with, with one another. See, this is driven by a spiritual force called sin. You see, you and I, we, we've all been born with this nature that causes us to, to be isolated, to live guarded. We're thinking that living guarded is for our own protection, but not knowing that it's actually to our own destruction. And living guarded causes us to be destroyed internally. Internally thinking that, hey, it's all a game. It's all about winning and losing. You have the zero-sum thinking mentality. But anytime you approach a relationship with, with a clear winner and a clear loser, everybody loses. And worst of all, what happens is it destroys us spiritually, separating and disconnecting us from community with God and his promise for our lives. And God seeing that we were stuck in this cycle of captivity that is slowly killing us. And he loved us so much that he sent his messenger, Jesus. And Jesus came with the sole mission to rescue us from that destructive cycle and saying, I want to put you in the right circle. I want to put you in community with God, in unity with God. And so Jesus took our shame. He took you and I's comparison. He took you and I's competition. He took you and I's division and it was heaped upon himself. And in his death, he defeated death once and for all. So that those that will believe in Jesus by faith would be forgiven. But that's not all. Jesus rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell. So that those that would believe in him by faith would not just be forgiven. Because forgiveness is good, but it still keeps you in the same cycle. He changes a completely different cycle by changing us and putting us in a different circle because through the power of his resurrection, he gives us new life. And so God's spirit his spirit that reconciles us, his spirit that reconnects us back in community with God moves in and the divisiveness, the disconnect, the, the competitive, comparative spirit moves out. And now we're in community with God in order for us to now live a life in community to come alive with others. So how do we do that? I want to give you two complimentary thoughts. And the first is this, we come alive in community when God is the king. Ezekiel says this in verse 13. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. These are the boundaries of the land that you will divide among the 12 tribes of Israel as their inheritance with the two portions for Joseph. And you're divided equally among them because I swore with uplifted hand to give it to your ancestors. This land will become your inheritance. So for hundreds of years, these individuals had turned their hearts away from God. Therefore, God turned them over to another king. Can I just tell you today that the kind of community that you will live in will determine by the kind of king that you're listening to. And Ezekiel was saying to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. 
That word sovereign literally means one in highest authority, basically saying this is what the king of kings has to say. Not the king of competition, not the king of divisiveness, not the king of comparison, but this is what the king above that king has to say because hundreds of years, the people of God listened to a king that led them to compete against one another, led them to, to become bitter rivalries against each other. Can I ask you, what, what king are you listening to today? What king are you listening to at home? What king are you listening to in your workplace? Are you listening to the king that says, hey, do whatever it takes to get that raise, even if it means using people? Hey, you know what? If, if that other kid gets the scholarship, that means that your kid doesn't. So make sure if your kid is going to go that way, make sure he takes the shorter way. Let him cut the corner so that he gets that first. Are you listening to the king that says, you know, if your husband is right, that means that you're wrong. So make sure you don't prove him right. You know, if, if, if your wife wins the argument, that means that you lost. Do whatever it takes so that you don't lose. Are you listening to the king that says, don't forgive them. They hurt you too much. Or are you listening to the king above the king that says, forgive them, for I have freely forgiven you. What Ezekiel was saying was when God is the king, he's the king over his kingdom. And if he's the king over his kingdom, that means he's the one that creates the community. That means it is his job and his role to reconcile relationships. That means if he's king, he's the one that's going to heal the hurt. That means if he's king, he's going to one that's going to bring brothers back together and bring life where life is supposed to be at. And you and I, we can just enjoy that community when God is king because God's the one that builds it. You see, God is the source of community. Literally, he's the source of the river of life that's going to flow through family, that's going to flow in family, because if he's not the source of the stream, it's not community. It's going to breed separation. It's going to breed comparison. It's going to breed uh, discord against one another, because it's his love shared with you and I and overflows into right relationships, into community with other individuals. When, when we are in community, all that means is common unity of faith in Jesus. And, and as the people of God, we're invited. We're invited to belong and to be a part of the church. Not just be a part of, of a religion or an organization, not a building, but be a part of the coming together of the community of people that create the body of Christ. It's living life with one another, everyday life. Here at LifeHouse, we have a saying. It's, it's literally circles are better than rows. And all that literally means, I know we're all in rows here today, but what we believe is life change happens in the context of godly community. And here we, we have groups that we call life groups. It's just small pockets of groups that live life and share life with each other. Look, we believe that life change is going to happen in community. That's why we have over 90 some odd groups from male groups, women's groups, marriage groups, care groups, support groups. We have all sorts of groups from teenage groups to, to ki our, our, our kids right now and our LifeHouse kids are experiencing small groups right now because we believe that if we create as many communities as possible, there's going to be a lot of lives that's going to be changed. The reason why I'm so passionate about this, because when Margaret and I, we moved here eight years ago, that was, that was one of the hardest moves for us because we had zero friends and zero family. And for Filipinos like me, I'm all about family. And we didn't have any of that, but it changed the moment we got connected to community. 
Now my life group has become my family. My kids literally call people in my life groups aunts and uncles. They've literally become godparents to my own children. My campus has become our community. And I want to make sure that you guys experience the same life change that my own family has had. It's, it's my heart that LifeHouse doesn't remain a house with people, but it, it, it becomes a home where family and community is found. Because I believe you and I, we are destined to be better together. And when God is king, community is created. And wherever it's created, things are going to come alive. Lastly is this. We come alive in community when we share his kingdom. What Ezekiel was saying in verse 21 was this. He says, divide the land with these boundaries among the tribes of Israel. Distribute the land as an allotment for yourselves and for the foreigners who have joined you and are raising their families among you. It says, they will be like native-born Israelites to you and will receive an allotment among the tribes. And these foreigners are to be given land within the territory of the tribe with whom they now live. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. For them, this would have raised an eyebrow to the people of Israel. Look, the kind of community you live in will determine by the kind of king that you're listening to. He caps it off by saying this is what the king of kings has to say. I know you've been living in this kind of community before, but it's going to be a new king in charge, and there's going to be a new kind of order, a new kind of community that I'm trying to create. He says, this is what I'm saying. I want you to share your inheritance. I want you to share it equally with everybody around you. And for them, that, that would have blown their minds. That would, have, that would have literally caused them to think otherwise because living as a foreigner back then, it was okay for a foreigner to live in the land of Israel so long as they started following God. If they were to say, hey, you know what? God is my king. I want to be a part of this community. Perfect. You can live here. But what God was saying was, as a foreigner, I want them to have equal rights and equal share of the kingdom. I want you to share the kingdom with them. They can own land, and this changes everything in the scope of the people of Israel. Why? Because no longer can you hold people's differences as the very thing that could divide them. No longer can you look at someone who wasn't born where you were born and say, hey, I'm better than you because I've, I, I'm a citizen here. Hey, I'm better than you because I'm really God's people and you're not. The very thing that, that was differing them wasn't disconnecting them from the promise of God. What God was saying, your differences is what I'm going to use to unite you to my greater promise. For me... As a native-born Filipino, I was born and raised in the Philippines. I was a Filipino citizen, and the moment I became a teenager, my parents went through the process of being naturalized, and so my entire family became naturalized citizens. And what happened that day was that day I was able to experience all the benefits, all the luxuries of living in a free country like I do today. And that's exactly what God is saying. I want you to share the kingdom. I want you to share the luxuries. I want you to share the benefits. I want you to, to, to share all the things that comes with being in the community of faith, in with being me as their king because what unites us in Jesus is far greater than what's going to try to divide us in community it's going to be greater than than the politics that we stand on 
greater than the color of our skin, greater than the clothes that we wear, great, greater than the house that we live in, the cars that we drive, or, or the things that we do in life. It's far greater than that. And what God is saying, I, I want you to share my kingdom with others. Every single one of us has been uniquely given a gift in order for us to share his kingdom with others. And so what God was seeing in us was when you share my kingdom, you share my joy. And in our minds, it's easy for us to think if I share the joy, that means I don't have enough joy for myself. But what happens is when you share God's joy, when you share God's kingdom, it gets multiplied. Joy gets maximized and multiplied while, while sorrows get divided, while burdens get lightened. And our community, God's community should be a people that's marked with shared joy, not zero-sum thinking, triumphalism. So how do we share, share joy? Well, I want to give you a couple quick, quick bullet points. You, you, you share his kingdom by knowing that you're better together. Look, the kingdom of God is built on relationships. There, there's an old proverb that, that basically says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with someone else. When, when you have a picture of making a bed, I hate making a bed, when we have a picture of making a bed, did you know if you do it by yourself, it's going to take you four times as long? I didn't necessarily do the math, but it's going to take you four times as long because you're trying to pull the sheets to one side and you got to fix it and look to see if it's even. Then you find out it's not even. Then you go on the other side and you got to fix it. Look if it's even. What happens when you invite someone else in, when you share it, all of a sudden, it exponentially goes quicker. Why? Because you know your part, and you do your part, and you respect others to do the same. You respect others' uniqueness. You respect others' giftedness. And you see others with value, not someone that, that hey, look, your, your, your gift is not as good as mine, so I'm going to treat you like a lower person. No, when you share his kingdom, you see everyone as equals. Secondly, you care for others. The people of God lived a life that was completely different. For years, they had lived a life just competing against each other. Now they had to care for one another. They opened up their homes. They extended their families. There were people that felt like they were abandoned and, and lost. When they started caring for each other, they started looking at them as people that could be retrieved and was found. You nurture, you love, you look after people. You pray for one another. You share life. What does that even look like? That means you share successes as much as you share sorrows. That means you share cheers as much as you share your fears. You, you begin to, to look out for what's best for them. That means you support them in their greatest time of need. That means that if you see people in your life that's going and following a destructive pattern, Look, your, your circle will determine your cycle. If you see someone in the wrong cycle, that means they need a different circle. And so you invite them in a community where God is king. And you invite them to a community in a circle where there's life change that's going to happen. You spend time together. Some of us are thinking, I don't have the right gift set. I don't have the, the right qualifications. I can assure you, every single one of us has this because it doesn't matter how rich or how poor, how high or how low you are. Every single one of us has been given by the Almighty God the same 24 hours in the day. We have the most valuable possession that we possess here in this life, and it's called time. 
for hundreds upon hundreds of years, these individuals had not spent time together. And all of a sudden, what are you saying, God? I got to live with this guy now. They learn to be welcoming. They learn to be inviting. They learn to go in people's homes. They learn to open up their lives. And we got to do the same thing. We got we to gotta protect the unity of our community. You protect it from comparison. You protect it from competition. You protect it from jealousy. How do you share his kingdom? You got to do the hard work of getting along. It's easy to move on and move away. It's easy to be transient and uncommitted. We got to do the hard work of, of getting along. That means we handle conflicts quickly and graciously. That means, that means we actually live like and act like we're going to be together forever. Forever. Part of God's promise is an eternal community with his people. If we can't get it right down here, y'all, it's going to be a whole lot of work up there. Let's spend time together. Let's do the hard work of getting along. Let's be involved in community. Let's be involved in a life group. I, I wholeheartedly believe, I wholeheartedly believe that there are some things in your life that God's, God, God's, God perhaps sees as dormant and he's going to bring to life in your 2019. I believe there's some relationships that, that you're, you're experiencing right now and maybe there's wreckage there. I believe that God's going to build it back together in 2019. I believe there's some things that's going to come alive and it's going to come alive in the context of community. My mom always told me, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I believe the future is bright for us here at Lifehouse. I believe the future is bright for us here at Wilson because there's a great community that we have here and it's time for us to, to, to start living community, coming alive together. Perhaps, just maybe, God's promises for your life is as close as you allow people into your life. You allow community back into your life. Maybe today, as, as I'm talking right now, you're experiencing, man, that is not where my community is. All I've got is nothing but comparison and competition. All I've got is nothing but wreckage and disrepair in my life. Maybe that is the community that you're living in. But I believe there's a greater community that God is promising. The kind of community you live in will determine the kind of God that you're listening to. And maybe today, we need to listen to another king. And we need to be in community and unity with God. And how you do that is through faith with Jesus. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you in doing that. Would you make that your response this evening? Would you place your faith in Jesus right now and saying, God, I want to place my faith in you. I want to be in unity with you because I, I assure you, you can't be in unity with others if you are not in unity with God. And that only happens through faith. Would you repent of your sin, the very thing that has disconnected you from God, and would you turn your heart back to the king above every king and allow his spirit to free you and allow your spirit to come alive through his spirit at work in your life. Through forgiveness, allow it to flow. Maybe today you've already made that decision. Let me ask you, who do you need to forgive? Who, you need, who do you need to be reconciled with today? Who do you need to invite into your community? Or maybe what community you need, need to be a part of? Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you. 
I thank you right now that we can come alive in community. And I believe that right now, God, that the King of Kings is causing us and calling us to draw closer to you. Father, I pray for every person that feels displaced, every person that feels disconnected, every person that feels abandoned and lost, that God, that they would find a home. They would find a home with you, but Father, find a home with your people. I pray, God, that, that Lord, that we would be a people that would share freely your kingdom. Uh, I pray that we would be a people that put you on the, the, the throne where you belong, Father, as King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray for those that's making a decision to follow Jesus, to make you their ultimate king. Father God, I pray that their life would come alive this, this season as they are placing their faith in you, as they're being united in a right relationship with you. Would you have your way in their life? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.